I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moe! Robby, Robby, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello everybody and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here and we are joined as always by Murray Kinsella and Bernard Jackman. We're going to hear from Murray in a moment about the news story he broke last night of Jason Jenkins' impending move from Munster to Leinster. Got a lot of you talking on Twitter and so on, so looking forward to getting stuck into that. We're going to chat about the Ireland squad for the Six Nations as well, naturally enough, and look at the provinces in Europe. But firstly, the whole rugby world was rocked yesterday by the terrible news emerging from France of the death of out half Jordan Michelet, who played with Rouen in the French Pro D2 uh, and was absolutely absolutely instrumental actually in hauling them up from the federal divisions. And Jordan was just 29. Uh, his death has not been treated as suspicious in France. And firstly, Bernard, if I could offer condolences to yourself on behalf of Murray and I, because you actually knew him. You, you coached him in Grenoble, and I was wondering, would you mind telling us a little bit about Jordan? Yeah, uh, Jordan had everything, to be honest. Um, so I was lucky enough, he, he came through the, from Grenoble, family from Grenoble uh, area, was in our underage system, um, was in our S-Bores, and, and uh, yeah, I was part of a staff that gave him his first pro contract and to be honest if you had said um you know where how high will this guy go you you, you know you wouldn't have been um overly ambitious to say he could play for france he was just so talented he had everything um uh, great looking fella great personality unbelievably easy going um and it was you know uh, I met his parents today he signed his contract uh, great people and um in fairness he's had a tough career even though he's been a professional rugby player in that he's bounced around i mean you know um he wasn't able to stay at his, at his boyhood club which is grenoble um then he went to bourguan which wouldn't be far up the road but bourguan had, had financial troubles they were down at federal one then he went to strasbourg um, then he went to Rouen, who were, as you said, were were federal one, but he played a big role in getting them back up. And he actually only last month signed a, a new three-year contract. And Rouen are a very ambitious club um, in Normandy, have a, a decent benefactor. FFR want and the league want to grow um, rugby in, in the north of France. So he it felt probably, for me, keeping an eye on his career, that he just... He just found his spot and, and, and I kind of knew where he was going for the next three years and his wife was, uh, is pregnant and, and just everything seemed to be going well for him um, and yeah it's it's tragic it, it's so sad to be honest and, and as I said like if there was one person that I uh, that I coached that I felt um, mightn't struggle for mental health and this is very naive of me to even think that but you know he was the guy who just seemed so comfortable in his own skin so chill so relaxed and uh um, it's shocked me it's shocked everybody's played with him um, you know and, and I'm not like Mike Prendergast coached him Dennis Coulson James Hart played with him Shane O'Leary plays with him now so there's lots of Irish people that you know have got to, to know him and I'm sure m- many more um, but just a, an absolute gent and, and you know it, 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 the thing that I thought about when thinking about this over the last couple of days is and it's something I heard Paul McGinley say um, is that you know we should like he tells his son all the time look I'm your first call you know what I mean no matter what happens I'm your first call um and and it's something I've tried to do with with Ben and Ava my kids and, and stuff and and it's something that we should maybe all say to people uh you know to let them know how how you're there for them because um 
you know, the, the idea that he's going through that time and no one knows about it um, and didn't feel he had a, maybe an out or, or, or someone to talk to is is obviously an issue and um and for me i would say to uh, like i'm not preaching anybody but for me personally my my take on it is to make sure people know that i'm their first call you know if i'm close to them or they feel they can trust me or that that no issue is is too big because there's not and uh that that, that's the only thing that no it's not the only thing it's it's the main thing i'm taking from this is that um and i even said to the Bective group because who i coach is that you know it's it's so important that we we look after each other and it feels like it's an that um there's that possibility of of sharing issues because um this young man had had uh you know the world at his feet and he had lots of things to do and achieve off the field as well but unfortunately now that that opportunity is um has gone for sure yeah it's unbelievably sad and just if i could add one thing i guess there are also people out there who who do have a first call and and know that and it might not be enough you know uh so so it is important to stress that sometimes it's even more complex than being able to talk to somebody we will include for sure uh, some phone numbers that you can call if you are struggling at home and if you don't necessarily want to speak about it to a family member or to a friend or, or to somebody who might be your first call otherwise and uh, to the people you mentioned as well Bernard who did work with Jordan in Grenoble uh, I know a couple of them do listen to the pod we're thinking of you as well and naturally his family and friends back home I think it's uh, I spoke to Shane O'Leary this morning um, Carcass sorry Ruan are playing tomorrow night um, they're playing Carcass on in tribute to, to Jordan, all the revenue from the game is going to go to his family um, to help support them. And, and, and I just thought that was obviously a very difficult thing to do. But um, yeah, hopefully he gets his, his, his partner and uh, gets, you know, a, a decent financial um, aid to, to help her on, 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 her, on, her, on her journey to rebuild her, their life, you know. Yeah, that should be a fitting send off for him. Very difficult to say out of that. I don't know how to do it other than just to keep talking. And Murray, last night, you were busy. You were off yesterday, actually, but you end up, I think, covering a presser and breaking some transfer news. Uh, so tell us about your thoughts on this impending move for Jason Jenkins uh, from Munster to Leinster. Like, if you recall the general tone of discourse around his move to Munster, what was it, 18 months ago now, in ways it was quite critical of Munster we spoke about it on this pod in a lot of detail you guys felt it, it wasn't the right move for them in the sense that not only would it potentially inhibit the progression of people like Thomas O'Hearn who might be playing in his position and at that time he was going to be kind of a, a second row back row hybrid we thought maybe actually more so a back row where Munster have even more young guns coming through um, does that same problem exist at Leinster to your mind or, or is it a different situation yeah it is a slightly different situation it's a very interesting one when I heard this I initially thought someone was having me on kind of with it because it was kind of unimaginable really this kind of transfer and you don't often see players go from Munster straight up to, to Leinster um, I suppose as we spoke about in this pod before we knew that Leinster had been given approval to go out and sign an NIQ non-Irish qualified lock they'd identified this area of their game based on the defeats to Saracens and La Rochelle in Europe they felt like they'd been physically bettered or, or second best in those games and they felt that a big heavy powerful mean tight head lock would benefit them and make them a better team when it comes to those big occasions my sense had been that maybe naively that meant they were going to go out and sign a proven world-class second row with a winner's cv with a you know a real track record behind them obviously that 
profile probably isn't out there and in that sense I, I see it as a bit of a strange signing um, because Jenkins is 26 and listen he could become that world class lock I don't think he, he is that yet he hasn't started a game since November 2020 I think it is due to the pandemic and all that of course but he's had a few injury issues in Munster so we haven't had much recent evidence when he came through in Blue Bulls absolutely he was a very promising locked. He looked he looked really good there and has played in Japan a bit and, and got his, his spring box cap in twenty eighteen it was. But I just don't see him fitting that bill that I had presumed that Leinster were going out to sign. The other part of this sh- the, this is that it's a, such a shame that Jack Dunn now it looks like will be leaving for Exeter. That's neither of these moves are, are officially confirmed yet, but this is the this is the talk that we're hearing. Um and he's the guy who you had hoped in Leinster would probably fit that bill of that bigger um, work rate lock who does a lot of the dirty work and, and unseen stuff for, for want of a better phrase he put on a lot of size in the last couple of years he obviously had a long injury spell and has come back from that and had the frustration of it was COVID in Barbarians camp when he got called up there but prior to that injury I thought he was showing nice glimpses of, of what he could become and, and be that big destructive lock for Leinster and they obviously prided themselves massively on producing their own players but clearly the coaches don't believe that he was ready to to fit that bill um, and that's why they had to go out and and look for for a signing as we discussed with the Michael Ala Alatoa transfer like Leinster have earned themselves a lot of credit in this area even look at the, the latest Ireland squad the predominant share of it are guys who've come through Leinster pipeline to play for Leinster or come through Leinster schools club system and gone to play elsewhere even so they are obviously producing a lot of players Granted, the, the population base is, is much bigger, and, and we've spoken about that before, but they've credit in the bank. I just don't think that this is exactly the, the signing that I was imagining for this slot. I could see why they'd been granted permission to go and, and get that NIQ second row, but for me, it's a shame, as I mentioned, with Jack Dunn. And while I think Jenkins could be a, a good player, haven't really seen him, I suppose, consistently perform to that level of of saying, yeah, he's definitely going to make Leinster uh, take that next step and, and be the, the very best in Europe. Yeah, Jenkins' reputation has almost been enhanced in his absence, Bernard, because he's often cited as, or more recently he has been cited as a player that Johan van Graan would have loved to have had in his tight five and they're lacking dynamism partially because he hasn't been there and yet we just haven't really seen him enough for Munster to establish if that is fact yet. But uh, from your point of view, looking at, say, Jack Dunn, looking at it's Charlie Ryan isn't it from the academy who potentially could be going to Exeter as well Murray um, there are a couple of more guys that, that will be naturally placed in the pecking order if Jenkins does come in Ryan Baird as well could interfere with his playing time like I'm just trying to apply the same parameters to the discussion as we had when Munster signed him because a lot of Munster fans actually are frothing at the mouth a little bit that it won't be discussed in the same way as I say I actually do think it's slightly different I think the conversation is a little bit different in that when Jenkins signed for Munster that it wasn't just that they were signing it doesn't matter where he's from but a South African lock it's the fact that that seemed to be the answer to their problems way more often than it is Leinster right so from Leinster's point of view Birch like is it a more palatable signing to your mind and does it make sense yeah it's more palatable I, I would have preferred for them to go and get a a, a world class proven world class you know guy who could influence the dressing room when you know the I know there's less clashes but just someone who's going to give you that presence on and off the field um, which you know we, we all hope for Mewlin when given Ulster um, I don't think he has the game 
changing ability of a of a Snyman or a, or Ludiag or or a Estebet, to be honest. I think he's a lock. Like let's be honest. The reason a lot of the a lot of people were, I certainly was frustrated was they were selling him a CJ Standers replacement. Um, when he signed for Munster, he is coming to Leinster as a tight head lock. Now I could see, I could see him being on the bench for big games in Europe. You know, like Alatoa. Um, uh, it, like that's if Ryan Baird, you know, comes through. Um, and Leinster, there might be certain games where he's massively important, but probably to be honest, when you look at the rest of the profile of the Leinster forwards, it, you know, he they're not as reliant on one guy to give them power. You know, um, for example, you know, if Matfield said that that Johan said, oh, he can't play the power game because he doesn't have Snyman or Jenkins. Um, well, that's because, you know, if you look at on the balance of the other eight or the other the other six, there's not that amount of power, whereas Leinster are very lucky to have Porter, Kelleher, Furlong, uh, Doris, etc., etc. So I could see him being important for Leinster. Um, have they got credit in the bank because of the internationals they're producing? Yeah. Is it frustrating if that's why Jack Dunn is leaving, if that's the case? Yeah, for sure, but I do think that, and that's why I do think that Stuart Lancaster, Leo Cullen, they need they need to be winning European trophies. That's that's their job, uh, along with along with blooding players and giving them a good environment for Team Ireland. So I think they they should be allowed to sign it. Like I actually didn't have an issue with Munster signing it, except I was frustrated and worried that it would stop Tom Ahern's um, development. For example, right? Uh, I think. Leinster will still manage to to bring through the young locks like Brian Deeney, etc., uh, and give them game time. But when it comes to the crunch, La Rochelle away, Toulouse at home, having Jenkins in your match day twenty three will make them stronger because he is he is proven at that level. Um, whereas obviously some of the younger fellas still have to have a little bit of go. Even Jack Dunn has has development ahead of him to prove he's at that level. So. Uh, it's strange though, uh, I, you know this NIQ moving from Leinster to Munster. It, it, it's it, I haven't really processed it to be honest. You know I was a bit taken back when Murray released it last night, and I'm still trying to work out whether it's right or wrong. Um, but I can see that Leinster, obviously, because that was the thing. I I thought Leinster were ignoring the fact that they needed that profile, and were just kicking on doing the same thing. But obviously, they have felt that they got permission for it, and as well, let's be honest, Barlu Diager, Chris Fui. Um, there's not many of that profile lock on the, on the table at the moment because uh, of the of the World Cup cycle. So their choices are limited. And is he the best of the rest? Yeah, potentially. We just haven't haven't seen it because he's been so injury prone. One of the other things to add qu- quickly, Gav, is um, and I hope it doesn't come across that me and I, I mean I was leading that tone that you mentioned earlier on last time around having a go at Jason Jenkins like I apologise if that feels like the case if he does listen to our pod but I suppose um, the issue was as as Birch mentioned it was bigger I suppose with Munster we did say at the time he's a good player and I actually still think that if he gets fit he can have a, a big impact for Munster like we've spoken about their tight five probably not having the dynamism clearly Johan van Grand feels that's the case as Victor Matfield reported on their private conversation um, and I still think he could have a, an impact. I felt it was a short-term, very short-term signing, obviously a one-year deal, and could affect others' development. Um, it is interesting also that the RFU have given Leinster now permission to go and sign this type of lock, having given Munster permission after they'd signed Orgy Snyman, obviously. He was a different profile, of course. He's a second row. He's a big unit. Obviously, Jean Klein came in from South Africa initially, has 
qualified to play for Ireland, but he's had that kind of tight headlock role in Connacht. You know, Quinn Rue left and they got permission to sign Leva Fifita. Uh, in Ulster, they've signed Sam Carter. So clearly there's a, a deficiency that the RFU are acknowledging here as well. And like, maybe that's just physical, is it, Birch? I don't know. France and South Africa obviously seem to produce a lot of these big, heavy locks. And, and maybe the Irish physical profile has that weakness, I suppose. Yeah, and, and Jack Dunn is someone who looks like he um, he actually has it. But look, at I, I wouldn't... If he goes to Exeter um, and plays a lot, uh, uh, you know, he's, it wouldn't be a bad thing for his career, to be honest. Um, like, And he's still Irish qualified. So I... I uh, I said, I think Lens. I think all the provinces need to be able at certain times make decisions that that they feel is going to help them achieve their goal. And you know, and 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 it's David Nusafor's job to micromanage that and make sure Team Ireland also has um, the the right pathways. And that's not no one's being blocked to a certain extent. So I I can uh, look. It is important. It's the position that everybody wants at the moment. Those tight headlocks. Um, and power and size and physicality is a prerequisite to it. So at what what is he twenty five twenty six? Um, you know he's at the right age profile potentially. You know he, this has been his, his his block where all the rehab is going to make him robust. So um, yeah, let's see how it unplay, uh, unfolds. Just before we do move on from it, Birch, sticking with yourself, say if it isn't as clear cut as being the case that Leinster determined Jack Dunn isn't the guy or isn't the solution to that problem if they see it as one and maybe he has just had his head turned a little bit by the prospect of possibly playing more for Exeter developing his career maybe a little bit more quickly actually because of game time as you say over there and with Charlie Ryan potentially following him to Exeter is it a problem for Leinster or a potential problem I guess that we haven't that they haven't had to confront in recent years we've always lauded their ability to keep the guy third fourth in the depth chart happy and actually give them enough game time generally speaking in what was the pro 14 whereas now maybe those opportunities are a little bit more scarce to begin with and if a couple of guys do leave and it looks like they're doing well could it become a pattern i suppose is what i'm asking yeah and it was always the um it was always the the question I think we all posed when we saw the reformatted URC and and less clashes, um, which Leinster, in fairness, like look at um, Leinster did a great job of being able to blood more players, and the reason they were able to do that was obviously they've got good strength and depth, but plus they were losing more players, so you know guys were very much feeling part of those URC or Pro 14 or um, uh, trophies because they played five, six, seven games. And at 21, 22, you know, you, f- you feel that that's right because you're getting a good mix of good coaching, um, you know, good S&C, a little bit of game time to test yourself, um, very good training levels to test yourself against the starting internationals, etc. So, But maybe now it, it's going to be a, a challenge for them and it just takes a couple uh, to go away. Ironically, it's been guys who haven't, made uh, uh, made the, the academy so Keen Prendergast you know Will Hickey um, etc getting game time elsewhere which potentially might um, I suppose get inside the heads of some of the young youngsters Seb, or Lucas Bertie is it worth a while staying around you know in that 18-19 period uh, should they cut their losses and, and, and go and test themselves somewhere else where potentially they'll play Champions Cup a little bit younger or have a contract um, which will obviously give them more security etc um, and then if, if they start to lose some of the squad players and they go and, and do well um, I think that's going to be an issue I think Prendergast will probably do as much harm 
his story will probably do as much harm, uh, or not harm, but will will get inside the heads of of his uh, counterparts in Leinster who stayed, um, and now are outside. You know, so we saw uh, Will Connors, you know, we we um, play for Ireland even though he wasn't necessarily first choice for Leinster. Um, you know, I know Prendergast only in as a development player, but certainly if you were a backup for Leinster um, and only playing a little bit now. And you see someone else who you you know you think you were ahead of or are ahead of or have more experience of starting to get you know regular game time, really enjoying his rugby, getting a t- taste of the Irish squad, that may uh, factor. And in fairness, Joe Joe was very happy for guys to you know stay in Leinster and not maybe be first choice and get uh, get international appearances. Maybe maybe now because the four provinces are. Are, are playing quite well. Maybe it's going to be harder, even though, you know, Craig Casey, Conor Murray, you can still do it. Dan Sheen, uh, Kelleher, you can still get into the Irish squad, but certainly in, in positions that are very competitive, like back row um, and maybe props, maybe you'll have to move province to, to really be able to stake your claim. The other thing, just to flag briefly, Gav, we, we wrote in one of our members' newsletters recently is that Leicester are going to face more and more threats to their player pipeline as well. Just recently, actually, I heard that a player who's currently in school was actually offered a contract by a club in England. Like he hasn't even come out of school into the Leinster system formally, I suppose, just yet. And now there's an English club interested and obviously one of the biggest prospects. So like that might happen more as well, given the quality of, of that pipeline we mentioned before. So they face all sorts of threats for their players. Bert, who is it? You're probably brokering that deal, are you? No, broken I deal. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, really I don't joking. know, I know, but in fairness, um, no, I, I don't know. I, I have heard the name, but um, I do think it makes sense. I think once they get into that sub-academy and that's what I call purgatory, where you're there for two years, it's probably harder to get them out because they feel committed. So if I was an English or French club, um, I'd be looking to to get them out of school because then you have the best chance of getting the the, the best, you know. Because um, I think most kids at twenty will, if you know, haven't spent two years in a sub academy, will probably go for Leinster if they get offered that academy contract because maybe they're deep in their studies in UCD or Trinity or whatever or DIT and um uh, and they want to finish that and also they want to prove themselves. So I can see why it makes sense and, and that's the problem when you know the likes of Will Hickey and Bertie, um. Uh, moving shows then uh, maybe that they are ch- they are uh, uh, potentially able to convince them to leave, and that hasn't been the case for for years. Likewise, in you know when top fourteen clubs were were, were given the the CV of an Irish international or a or a starter for a province, they started to lose real belief that they would come. And I've said this before, you know if you get a South African CV or an Islander CV or Super Rugby player, you pretty much know if you meet what they want they'll sign for you tomorrow whereas historically with Irish players the agents and the players were potentially using that as just a way to try and get more money from from a province and then you know then obviously that actually stops clubs even chasing them for a while and uh, but de- definitely if 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 French, if French and English clubs think they can get schoolboys out of Ireland um, I, and they, they start to see a few deals happening they'll be more tempted to look here Let's talk about that Ireland squad then Murray question here from Kalon our famed the 42 member it's been a while actually since we had one of Kalon's questions he says do the lads think this Ireland squad is in a good place parking the brilliant November and looking at it solely from a depth and form viewpoint would they be happy with the squad that is named or would they make any significant changes and it felt like Murray yesterday that upon the squad announcement while there were loads of talking points as there tend to be 
it was the least controversial squad that I've seen named in a long time. I, I don't even know if I saw anybody especially pissed off, which felt like a sea change. That's strange, but very, very welcome. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't controversial really in any way. And, and the initial absence of, say, someone like James Lowe quickly made sense with a, with an injury. Um, and the other players who, who've dropped out after November, likewise. Just firstly, I, I think it is a very exciting, exciting squad. I don't think you can completely park November. That's their most recent international form. And yes, it's been heavily disrupted. And certainly the French and English leagues in particular have, have rolled on a lot more smoothly over recent months so there's slight concerns there but guys like Johnny Sexton have quickly got up to speed before we know that we know that he hasn't often played a lot of rugby coming into Six Nations and has still been able to to deliver really impressively for for Ireland so I think there's a nice balance to the squad I think there's a good blend of experience with some of the youth uh, players who've kind of broken through in the last couple of years under Andy Farrell some fresher faces again obviously with Hansen and Lowry coming into the squad but uh, to a degree as expected a very settled squad I suppose the areas of more concern are, are similar again we might get into them but I think it is a, a positive squad naming there's a lot of guys who've been playing excellent rugby whether it was in November at international level most recently or with their provinces the likes of Ty Byrne for example who's just gone to another level again in his game um, and you have you know centres stacked with depth you have a back three with loads of exciting players the back row is the same again but there's real quality there as well so I, I don't think so I think Kieran Marmion for me is probably the one that stands out as the most unlucky to miss out he's been excellent for, for Connacht but uh, not too many complaints there Birch let's go through a couple of the specifics then just begin with because you touched upon it a moment ago uh, to the unacquainted, what does it mean for, what does it mean that Keen Prendergast is a development player, and how actually how does that work in practical terms when he's the only development player? Like, how will it be different for him than the other thirty six or thirty seven? Yeah, and some and sometimes it means you kind of you set their expectations around game time, um, and uh, in some cases it means you're only you know you're you're going to be sent back to your province to to play. Now we know this group are all going to Portugal on, on Thursday, so none of them are going back to um, their provinces. Uh, so he's going to get a cracking shot at it. And I, I just think it's recognition of, of, of a young player's, um, it, what he's done, or sometimes it can be kind of before they've actually done it. So Tom O'Toole, a couple of years ago, was, was a development player. Before we'd really seen um, how high he can go, or, or him doing it at, at European level, whereas... It's a sign that I think Faz or Joe or whoever is is out there listening to the provincial coaches. They've got an eye on the um, uh, on on what's underneath. Someone who's got high potential but maybe very low minutes, and it's an opportunity to bring them in and probably keep the fans, the pundits, um, from from going. Oh, geez, like how is he in ahead of X? You know what I mean. So it just gives the coach that out that Keen Prendergast isn't maybe ahead of Jack O'Donoghue, um, for in terms of the here and now. But certainly, he's the one that they want to look at for for the future. So that's where it is. Look, can he play in the Six Nations? Of course, he can. He'll be in the squad. He'll know the line of calls. He'll know everything. But I just think it sets that level of expectation, and maybe also, you know, gives others in that position the the belief and hope that you know he hasn't moved completely ahead of them. Um, it's a mix of what he's doing and what he can do in the future. Murray, Mac Hansen, Mike Lowry, two very exciting inclusions. A couple of names that fans from all over the country I think would be really interested in seeing 
15 feels like it's almost ring-fenced, just given Hugo Keenan's form. We don't know, like, there could be an opportunity against Italy or whatever, but I suppose what I'm asking is how much would one anticipate seeing Mike Lowry being involved? And along similar lines, do you see Matt Hansen as an actual contender to play a bit of ball in the spring, or is is he almost like a de facto development player in that it'll be his first time involved in that setup? Yeah, I mean, they're coming from further behind. It was really interesting. I was listening to Wayne Pivak on the Scrum V podcast um, over in Wales, and, and, and he kept mentioning just how important international form is, like, and how that's you know what they judge players on so the, they're coming from way behind obviously because they don't have international form they have no caps and the guys who are in that back three kind of bracket with them have a lot of credit in the bank obviously James Lowe is dropping out but as you said Keenan's a nail, nailed on starter at 15 Conway was excellent when he played in those two November tests and Robert Balakoon he got a start against Argentina and he's just been brilliant every time he's played Keith Earl's obviously hugely experienced and Jordan Larmer overcoming a, a dead leg I would have them ahead of the two new guys in the pecking order of course the Italy game in round three is at home it feels like as good an opportunity as ever to experiment is the wrong word but to slightly shake things up and unfortunately we know that hasn't always been the case particularly if a team gets on a roll in the first couple of games um you know the coaches genuinely justify it as we need to keep that momentum going particularly with a week off either side of of the Italy game so it might not be the case but I personally think it is a, a fine opportunity for the two guys you mentioned potentially one of them getting involved someone like James Hume to get a start with his excellent form but in the back three I have to say I think Keenan um Conway Earls and Balakoon are the the four guys who will kind of be the front runners there James Lowe dropping out changes that up because he's a, an out and out left wing whereas Conway's been playing on the right he played for Ireland on the left against USA in the summer so could potentially switch across Earls obviously plays on the left wing for Munster at the moment and has lots of experience there so that might give um, space for Balakoon to slot in on the right that's the way I'd be, be leaning towards it I suppose with Keenan Conway Balakoon potentially starting um, but it's brilliant for Hanson and Lowry to get that acknowledgement as well and get a chance to expose themselves to that consistent level of training now across the whatever seven or eight weeks of the championship they all talk about how you have to go to a different level you get get into Ireland camp um, and hopefully that's followed up by a, by a couple of minutes on the pitch looking at 10 Birch uh, a, a lot of people probably got their wish it sounds cruel but that Harry Byrne isn't involved and it's nothing personal against him I think it's more so that he naturally was taking up a space that, that could be occupied by somebody who was playing more regularly and playing better at the moment in Jack Carty. Joey Carberry is probably a surprise inclusion to a lot of people. I personally thought he, he would have been out a little bit longer. Maybe he can get involved around the middle uh, to late stages of the tournament. What are your thoughts on out half? Yeah, look, I'm delighted to see Jack in. I think he's um, he's been consistent. Um, he's leading Connacht from, from the front. Um, he's shown he's shown a wide um, variety of skills. And I think he is the the form back up 10 um, and um, this is Six Nations um, you know we we always hear that there's very little room for experimentation bar maybe the Italy game uh, November's the time to, to try things out so I, I like the fact that Faz has gone full circle on this and he had Harry in in November because obviously he's a player that they they want to see what he can do they like his ability unfortunately for Harry he just hasn't had game time for a variety of different reasons since so he hasn't really had a chance to push forward his his case so um and i think once players can kind of see logic behind things and see they are rewarded um over the course of the the medium to long term for being informed that they they can accept that and understand it so i think if that happens johnny sexton 
you'd feel a lot more comfortable. I, I'd certainly feel comfortable with Jack Carty playing against Wales, um, given the the level of form and confidence he, he's shown. And you know, if he feels that Joey, which obviously medical, you know, he, the medic, the medics will have a big say in in every uh, decision that this squad is based around. That if Joey's going to be back for the latter part of the Six Nations, well then let him come in, do his rehab there, be part of everything. And you know if 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 we need him later on in the tournament, he he's there. So um, I can see I can see the logic of of having him in, even though it was a bit of a surprise. I I was probably thinking, you know, that he'd miss out of the, of the initial squad, and if he got fit, they might add him to it later on. But they've obviously decided that they're covered with Johnny and 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 uh, and, and Jack and maybe Connor as a de facto ten. Now he's on a central contract and uh, um, get some more use out of him. But um, yeah, they obviously feel they're covered. Murray just on. The uh, replacement out half berth, uh, given that Carberry has been, well, is now injured, hasn't been tearing up any trees necessarily, partially because he was on his way back from another more long-term injury. Like, if you were Billy Burns, would you feel a little bit slighted? I, I don't know, maybe even Ross Byrne did well at the weekend. It's We have good options there, don't get me wrong, but just that so much faith is being shown in a guy whose form hasn't been there in Carberry and who is now actually unable to play ball I, th- I thought his form was picking up be- before this injury even in November there was a little hints of it with Munster I think there have been even that Wasps game albeit against weak opposition he had a really influential role in it and he, for me he was moving in the right direction I could kind of visibly see some of his confidence returning and he had been honest about that dropping off when he was out for so long and clearly they want to keep that progression going I think the fact that Jack Hardy is playing such good rugby gives him real assurance about that backup slot to Sexton and gives Carberry a little bit more time to get fully fit again. Like on form, Carty deserves to be in Ireland's matchday squad. He's playing brilliant rugby consistently across the course of the season. And I agree with Birch, like you'd fully back him to fit in really well actually to how Ireland are trying to play with his combination of of tactical kicking, which is so important at a test level, and also his ability to make decisions at the line, which we've spoken about. So I actually think it, it kind of makes sense. I was, of course, surprised to see Carby there. I presumed, again, that they'd do the same as what Birch mentioned, but it makes a little bit more sense in hindsight. I'm also fascinated to see if they, if if, if Carby pops up at fullback again for Ireland, which we saw um, in November, wasn't it? Or was it last summer? Um, towards the end of the, one of the games with, with Harry Byrne. Because um, that's an option for them going forward. It gives you great flexibility in your matchday squad as well, obviously. Um, and then Larry there as well can can play ten when you're in matchday or you know training scenarios with fifteen on fifteen. He's got the skill set to cover that. So yeah, they look in, in decent nick there with, with Burns and Byrne. Yeah, of course they're going to be disappointed. You know, you kind of wonder has Andy Farrell had a look at them and said they're not my guys to move forward with. Clearly, he's a fan of Byrne, and it would be no shock to see him back in the mix again in the future and, and longer term. I think Kieran Treadwell is a bit of an interesting inclusion, if only because it speaks to what you were saying, Bernard, about guys seeing that form will still be rewarded, even if he hasn't necessarily been a figure that there has been enormous clamour for uh, his inclusion in recent years. And it's been, I think, about four years since he actually played for Ireland. But almost slowly but surely, maybe a little bit under the radar, probably not to Ulster fans I'll, I'll probably get a few emails about this but he, he's been uh, really impressive and has played his way into contention um, talk to us a little bit about what you've seen from him this season that has actually allowed him to make that step to getting back into international contention yeah he has been impressive and he and obviously um, you know the weekend he was very strong um, against Northampton as was Ross Maloney to be honest who 
um, was in the squad last summer and didn't get a cap. Um, but uh, yeah, I think obviously Delan deciding to go to La Rochelle has has opened up another slot. Um, there and actually, I think to be honest, and this isn't anything against Kieran Treadwell or Ross Maloney, but um, I think it's probably the area that we're maybe a little bit light behind. Um, obviously, look, Tyburn can play can play second row, but um, is he as going to be effective at test level as a second row? Um, I'm not sure. James Ryan has some injury problems. Hendo's struggling with injury, so they're they're your three guaranteed. You know. Um, if they play for you on Saturday against England, you're not worried about them. But below that, there's a little bit of um, um, a gap at the moment, or they're looking to find who's next to step up. And Thornbury, in fairness, had, had shown glimpses, but he's had a very bad run with injuries. Um, but I, I think he's he's someone you should keep an eye on. Uh, Ahern, you know, he's getting game time at last. He's putting his hand up. So he could have been maybe in there as a development player. But it is great to see someone like Treadwell, who's... Very good ball carrier, to be fair. Um, quite athletic, mobile, abrasive, and in form. So yeah, full credit, uh, full credit to Faz for Farrell for bringing him in. But um, it's the area when I looked at that squad where I'm not as sure we have you know massive, massive proven depth uh, lower down um, at number five, six, seven. Um, but yeah, it's it's great to see someone like uh, Treble get in. And that can be kind of quickly exposed just depending on bad luck with, with a couple of injuries at a World Cup or whatever. Ryan Baird is the number four lock now and certainly is a freakish athlete. So much potential there. But I wonder, do they still see him in that potential bracket rather than a guy who's demanding to be in the matchday squad every single weekend? I suppose there. And then the two propositions are, are areas that they'll be looking towards that succession planning as well. Obviously, he really wants... Tom O'Toole to, to push on to the next level with his game and be a real viable backup contender behind Tyke Furlong with Porter having gone across to, to Loosehead. Finley Bealham, we saw his importance to Connacht last weekend after he, he went off and the scrum, I suppose, fell apart and was a massive point of difference. And then on the Loosehead side, you've got Porter who can clearly be one of the best Looseheads in, in the world game and has lots of years ahead of him. And then you've got two guys who are more senior figures, I suppose, in, in Keen Healy and Dave Kilcoyne, without a, a really obvious candidate to try and come in and, and take one of their squad spots. So you're always looking longer term. And while it's a really exciting squad at the moment, uh, the RFU and Ireland will definitely be considering those three slots, I think. Yeah, you partly answered John Malloy's question there uh, on Lucid. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think John, John will be reasonably satisfied, I'm sure. But just to throw it through yourself as well, Birch, because like, you're mentioning that lock may be an uh, area in which we don't have proven depth at the moment i suppose john is actually casting his eye to the future a little bit he mentions how as murray says and as everybody knows keenely probably doesn't have a huge amount of road left to run john reckons kilcoin's form has dipped a little bit this season i'd probably be a little bit careful with that just form can be temporary to use that old cliche and monster season has been uh, fairly well disrupted he could be a guy that just just takes a while to hit the ground running again but as John mentions, it is the only position he's looking at and getting a little bit more worried about. Uh, he mentions that there are live options even at 9 and 10, but they just don't seem to have that at loose head. Is it just a case of playing the waiting game a little bit and hoping that the talent is unearthed in that position, Birch? Yeah, no, I, I think we'll, we'll, um, we will develop loose heads to replace eventually Keane and, and Kilcoyne. Um, I wouldn't be overly worried about it. I, I think... Um, yeah, it's he's one hundred percent right. You know the the age profile of of of, of our two backup loose heads, um, you know would would make you wonder and and, and look at it. But I think both will get. To, they're obviously both on track to get to the World Cup now. 
and you know that's the that's the short to medium term for us and and uh i'm sure john fogarty and and, and paul o'connell are um you know spending a lot of time trying to f- find out who's going to be the long-term um replacements for them so yeah for, I, I agree with him it's 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 not as clear cut um but i i i still think um there's guys like Witcherly, um you know for example um who who potentially could become a a, a replacement uh, over the next 24 24 months michael halpenny another the 42 member had 42 member excuse me had a brilliant question about uh well he was asking you guys who would you start from 11 to 14 across the back line we're going to expand that out. I gave you a small bit of homework to do. I felt like a dickhead, don't get me wrong. But I did ask you to put together uh, a 23, your personal 23s to play Wales. I hope you did get a chance to do it. Um, Murray, you might start us off. Well, firstly, did you do it? I did a 15 anyway, I'll give you that. It's pretty straightforward. Okay. I think anyone could probably guess. Porter, Keller, Furlong. I'd burn and Ryan. I think you can't leave burn out at the moment. Doris van der Fleer, Conan. Gibson Park Sexton I'd Henshaw and Ringrose in the centre I like that pairing but tough to leave out Bundyaki and James Hume is pushing hard and I went for Conway Balakoon Keenan in the back three uh, I'll have a think about the bench now while Birch is going yeah I'll just, I, I have the same <laughs> I have the same 15 so I'd go Killer um, on the bench um, I'd go Sheehan I'd go Bealham to be honest um, uh, but obviously I think O'Toole can pass him out. Um, I go Baird, um, covering Lock or 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 back row. Um, I go Coombs, um, and then I would go Casey ahead of Mur- uh, Murray. Um, I'd go Jack Carty, and my outside back was uh, who would I go for my outside back? Um, Earls, Earls. Tough to disagree with that. Really, obviously, I think Peter Manny's playing brilliant rugby and deserves on foreign to be included in there he did a good job off the bench when he when he did that in the in the autumn but we definitely need to find out about Gavin Coombs sooner rather than later at this level it was really unfortunate in November that he had that illness and, and couldn't feature and obviously you're going all out to win a title in the Six Nations but if you can do that while learning a bit more about Coombs with a couple of you know decent stints off the bench that'll be that'll be massive Murray's the fascinating one isn't he in the in the squad and we've been here talking about this before he's got his new RFU deal and he's going to battle hard for that starting slot. I'm sure we'll get into it in the next few weeks, but Gibson Park is the, the man in possession. Yeah, see me after class, uh, class lads. I, I don't know who was cogging off who, but we'll get to the bottom of it. No, thank you. Uh, we'll chat about the provinces in Europe now. Let's start with Ulster, because I saw Birch... No, actually, I think we were just chatting during the week or, or maybe even after the game. You were saying it was probably the standout performance for you over the weekend, their victory in Northampton maybe the most entertaining game involving the provinces oh, Connacht Leicester is pretty good as well but um, what was it that actually appealed to you mostly about Ulster's win oh, I just think they uh, they had ambition but then they had a plan and um, really good understanding of how Northampton defended um, and how they could ex- exploit that so it wasn't just throwing the ball around willy nilly they they got the right people on the ball in the right areas of the field um, and exploited that uh, Northampton defence and and it was a really nice balance to it. So they probed down the blind side when it was on. Um, they got they weren't afraid to go hard, you know, off the off the rook and go at that at Northampton. And then they were happy to go out the back. So it was just really good, and they executed as well. I mean, they've got footwork in that back line. It's just a very exciting back line, and it's interesting, you know, uh, could they play that way with Stuart McCluskey in it? And that sounds um, really harsh because he's been. Um, He's been absolutely brilliant for them and, and a lot of their big performances have came when he's played. But 
certainly there was a nice balance to their back their their back line um at the weekend and I think they're going to get so much confidence from having gone away from home and, and put in a performance like that. Like, look, I know they, they conceded a late try and maybe at the end it looked tight and nervous, but they were quite comfortable, I thought. I thought they controlled the game uh, really well. And, yeah, it, it's just amazing. That Connacht game in Aviva where we left going, Jesus, uh, um, is that what is that where they're at, you know? Uh, they've just... They haven't been as brilliant as they were at, at, on, on Sunday since then, but they've... They've definitely used that game to uh, to get a lot more consistency about them, and um, I, I I thought it was the uh, it was an outstanding performance. Says a lot about the standard of our listeners' questions that they're being preempted while you're talking. But James Daniels was in touch as well, and he asks that same question about Ulster being able to play with McCluskey at 12 and he says uh, they played their best attacking rugby in a long time against Northampton so he's in agreement with yourself there Birch I think Stuart Moore played well as a link player and brought their attack together effectively do you think that by playing McCluskey Ulster won't be able to recreate this fluidity Lowry, Balakun and Hume are their most dangerous running threats so is someone like McCluskey going to be able to unlock their their abilities in the same way that a, a distributor like Moore could obviously you need gain line and momentum to put the ball wide but why can't Hume do this I think it would be an interesting point for the podcast as, in my opinion, one of Ulster's problems is the lack of fluidity and cohesion uh, their backline has with McCluskey involved, particularly against the strongest defences. So I'll throw that to yourself, Murray, to pick up on both James and Birch's point. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I probably disagree that they lack fluidity with Stuart McCluskey there. I mean, if you think of the Claremont game away, like the combination between McCluskey and Hume was really important and has been all season. I actually think their combination has been probably the best centre pairing in the country this season. They've been absolutely phenomenal together and I've grown the understanding to the point where McCluskey is often just putting Hume into one-on-one situations where he knows he can do damage. Think of that Leinster game where they won in the RDS and that lovely little overlines, over his line that Hume runs outside Larmer for the first for the opening try, the opening score. Uh, it was a brilliant bit of combination between the pair of them. He's obviously a very physical player, Stuart McCluskey, but... I think there's a lot of subtlety to his game. I think he's brilliant at going at the line and pulling the pass behind to a, a second playmaker, a second wave of the attack. He's even developed his kicking game. And I, I just think he's such a, a massive figure for Ulster. It is really important to have different ways and different styles of player. And I thought that was the best thing about Stuart Moore. Rory Best called it really well in comms that he wasn't trying to be Stuart McCluskey. He was using his footwork a little bit more. He passed the ball, I think, six times. So it wasn't like he was flinging the ball all over the place. Hume passed the ball six times as well. Um, and it's great to see that he has that aspect to his game. He certainly does. He's very creative. And himself and Hume combined in a different manner. Even the build-up to Balakun's try, they both had really important darts at the line. I think Moore picks up an inside pass at one stage and he has all those smarts to his game. And you'd love to see him take off. It's always the case in Irish rugby, isn't it? There's, there's another guy waiting behind, but there's a, an established figure there. And... I just don't think you can look at look past the importance of, of McCluskey to Ulster. The physical side of it is just as important as the creative and softer skills and he, and he gives that side of the game as, as well. So, yeah, I don't think that he restricts Ulster all that greatly and I think he offers a, a lot uh, aside from that passing stuff. Birch, if one of the other three provinces, I would say, had the lead over Leicester Tigers that Connacht did and threw it away, we'd probably be pretty scathing. I think fans of other provinces are are almost a little bit uh, weary of how Connacht get 
to their mind an easy ride from us i don't know is it just that they're generally more of the underdog due to resources historically probably uh, than the others but that felt like just a brilliant performance that they fecked away in the last 20 minutes and i wonder why it happened and i wonder how it's fixed yeah look at i think we we all uh, for other fans who are annoyed or frustrated that the the free ride they see Connacht getting. Um, I think as as pundits, we enjoy how they play. Uh, we, but we also, well, I certainly take into account um, the handicap they have in terms of um, maybe history, heritage, guaranteed to be, in, well, more than likely to be in Europe every year, um, budget, etc. So a lot of players there are have come from other provinces or outside of uh, Ireland Um and have a point to prove, okay. But in general, they're they they're not armed. They're not armed as well as Ulster, Leinster, and Munster in terms of support, finance, etc. So I think we take that into account. And, and if that's fair or not, uh, I'm not sure. But that's certainly how I see it. Um, and then I said when they're playing attractive rugby and it's exciting, um, you know that that feeds into it as well. You, you maybe enjoy it more. I, I'm not sure. But I, I think the reason they they lost the game, it's very difficult to actually. So from a coaching point of view. You're twenty eight ten up against against Leicester, um, Leicester team who don't really play in their own half. Um, they want to get territory and then build from that. So it's very hard to say play play from deep. You know, uh, even though that's Connacht's strength and that, that and, and they can do that, but they also have a smart kicking game. Connacht aren't um, Connacht aren't afraid to to play territory. Jack Carty kicks very well. Um, Marmion kicks well. Uh, in, in particular, Carty in particular puts him in the right areas of the field. So you're 18 nil up, sorry, 18 points up. Of course, you don't want to get caught overplaying in your own half. And unfortunately, I think they they weren't able to win that kick battle. And the reason Leicester um use that as one of their tools is is because they they're very effective at it. They 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 they're very accurate and precise um, and. Uh, discipline in their kicking game so Connacht weren't able to win that kick battle and then hence they they gave up possession in their own half and then the biggest issue for them was lack of squad depth their bench players and we saw it away in Leicester their bench players weren't able to come on and have the same level of impact as the guys who left the pitch or the Leicester replacements and particularly around set piece now I know the try they scored at the end wasn't a set piece try it was a brilliant try by Leicester in fairness and a great pass from Dan Kelly who obviously was Irish qualified, um, and you know it was a great finish, etc. So, Connacht, Connacht got caught a little bit, but again, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're Connacht, it was it the right thing to do by the game management? Was it the right thing to do by uh, the message from Andy Friend? I think it was. You know, like if they tried to run from their own twenty-two and got turned over, and that led to defeat, you're saying why aren't Connacht more pragmatic? So, it's one of those ones. I think they just need to develop. Um, develop that depth in their particularly for their set piece to not be able to I suppose concede penalties concede momentum yards like they did late in the game but again that comes back to probably budget and not just budget you can fix the budget by sorry you can overcome the budget deficit by doing what Andy Friend is doing which is building you know a project where people want to be part of um coaching them really well so you know those those guys like Prendergast who who weren't see, deemed good enough to make it in Leinster suddenly find their potential and can become better than the guys that that someone else picked so there is ways around it but it takes time and I, and I, and I do have massive faith in Andy Friend's ability 
to get the best out of this Connor team. But the real the reality as well, when people are looking at moves, one of the handicaps Connor have is that at the moment you can't bet your house on it that Connor will be in the European Cup every year. Um, and players know that that European Cup game or sequence of games will have massive bearings or weight when Andy Farrell picks the Six Nations squad. So it's it's all those things that as a as an analyst or pundit I try and take into account when I look at them. And and yeah, that's probably why we don't judge them the same way as 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 we do the other three. But that's because they're starting from a, a lower point. For sure I want to get to the stage where I'd love to Connor to be on a level playing field and we can, you know, call them out or, or analyze them in the exact same way we do the other three. But I think hopefully fans take into account that it's not a level playing field in Ireland at the moment. Murray, we've got literally three minutes, two more games to talk about. Now, to stress to people at home, yourself and Kieran Kennedy did absolutely dive into these games in detail on Monday for the 42 members. It's members.the42.e if you want to sign up there and get Rugby Weekly Extra, usually with Murray and Owen Toulon every Monday, but Kieran did a stellar job stepping in this week. Leinster against Montpellier. The commentary team on BT Sport uh, of Royal Bod and Ben Geyser were at pains to stress that Leinster weren't putting together a perfect performance they were quite critical of the handling errors despite uh, what was a very entertaining uh, uh, performance to my mind I kind of <laughs> I kind of felt like you don't need to make this point to be honest if you're going to be if you're going to have pretty much all of the ball and it's going to be in play for 40 minutes and you're playing like the Harlem Globetrotters they're going to be handling errors I thought Leinster did a professional demolition job made a point of the competition and I wonder Murray with Montpellier there was almost an emotional reaction from everybody who watched the game that they had kind of disgraced the competition. I just wonder, in retrospect, were people, including ourselves, a little bit harsh in the sense that they were besieged by COVID cases in the build-up? Uh, and maybe the, the criticism of the team they sent over was a little bit unjust. I don't know what you think. As far as I know, there were other players available and they opted to send a weakened team. So, no, not really for me. <clears throat> just never felt like they took the fixture seriously and, and they were in the mix um, and indeed may still be for, for knockouts uh, so I thought their performance was was really shocking and their effort but yeah Leinster absolutely deserve credit it was interesting Felipe Contepomi kind of said yeah, give some credit lads uh, we took them to 40 minutes ball and play when they're used to 30 minutes and uh, some of the attacking play was obviously superb so just brilliant to see Leinster back in action brilliant for Ireland as well loads of guys looking sharp and yeah hopefully Leinster can get the job sealed now on Saturday and, and on into the knockouts Munster uh, away to cast again don't have time to actually get into the game in detail talk to me about Jack Crowley Murray and what you saw from him is he a guy that Munster can potentially build around into the future is it still a bit too soon to say I think he looks really good I think he's looked really good over the last couple of weeks he's made mistakes it's been clear for everyone to see but he's reacted in the right way he's physically very game gets stuck in as we saw with the, the tackle and carry stats but you can see some of the glimpses of vision and footwork and creativity uh, he just needs a run doesn't he and Ben Healy's back now and uh, he wasn't available last weekend and Joey Carberry's going to return so that's the issue for him we've discussed it before but I do think he has a really high ceiling and he has a really good head for the game as well. So you would absolutely love to see him continue to get minutes while also recognising that Ben Healy is on an upward trajectory as well. Birch, in one word, Ulster against Claremont. Ulster. In one word, Leinster away to Bath. Leinster, bonus point. In one word, Connacht away to Stade Francais. Connacht. Nice. And in one word, Munster at home to Wasps. Munster. 
Thank you very much. Great to see you, gents. We need to let Bernard get back to his actual real-life big boy job. Thanks a million to everybody for tuning in at home. As I say, Rugby Weekly Extra on Monday, and we will be back in this regular slot next Thursday. Enjoy all the rugby over the weekend. Have a great weekend. Mind yourselves, and take it easy.